we are experiencing, I think, an awakening. The people of this house are getting set free and switched on to truly authentic discipleship and intimacy with the Lord. We are realizing that he is actually worth it. He's actually worth all of our lives. He's worth our devotion. When I think of awakening, I think of my mate Jimmy. Jimmy's like a steward of an awakening. I feel like he's got this crazy, crazy, crazy awakening. It's like fire shut up in his bones. He's a good man to have living in your house. And, uh, you know, people are catching on. You know, people are catching the fire. But I just want to talk today because I would hate for us to try and generate in the flesh something that can only be done in the spirit. So we need to just take stock of a few of the founding principles because we, we recognize that we love because he first loved us. It's his love that is going to empower us and propel us into the awakening that we also desire. And so when, we, when we're giving of our lives and we're giving of ourselves, we're not doing it from a... Uh, we're not generating it in our own strength. You know, we're seeking to live in the spirit. So my hope today is to just some reminders and some encouragement of just how to become a lover of God. The golden rule is love God and love one another's. But we haven't even got what it takes to do that without him. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge, the goal of our instruction. So the first part of this message is about being rooted in righteousness. And I've entitled it, Enter Through the Gift Shop. Because contrary to the world who exits through the gift shop, we enter in through the gift, right? It's a dad joke, everyone. You can laugh. Um, so we know that he deals with authenticity. He deals with us as we are. He receives us as we are and where we are in our lives. So we know that we're, he isn't waiting for a change. He's not looking for us to be somebody we're not or be someone we're not yet in order to receive that acceptance. And now we've all heard that on an intellectual level, but it doesn't necessarily mean we get it deep in our hearts. So what does that look like? And for me, I've experienced seeing... God's love for other people before I saw it for myself. Sometimes it's easier that way, isn't it? Because you can believe that God would love them because you see their life and, well, you see it from the outside, you know? 
But for me, that was one of the key awakenings that I had in a revelation of God's love because I saw people who were so authentic for who they were and the time and place that they were in. They were real. And I thought you had to turn into a good little Christian in order to be loved. But these guys were Christians. But they were who they were. They weren't trying to fit some mold. They weren't trying to become cookie cutter, you know. They were just authentic. And I had this, I saw them and I was like, you love them. And immediately it bounced back and I was like, that must mean that you love me for who I am in all of my funk. And so I had an encounter with the love of God and it brought a shift. And it, and it continues to bring a shift every time I encounter the love of God for me. So that was, I think, the end of 2009. So I'm a couple of years on from there now. And he's, he's expanding my heart. He's increasing me in that love as I stick, stick to the path. So this, this passage has been really ringing out in my ears. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 to 5. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And what I notice is that there's these plausible words of wisdom. There's this internal dialogue that makes sense because we don't reach the standard. It's not a lie that we don't reach the standard. And we disqualify it, but, but it's the disqualification of ourselves where the lie comes in. Because if we get self-focused and believe that lie that we're unworthy, we remain outside the Father's house. But there is a place for us at the table, right? come out already in the, the, the verse that you read before the service and in, in the worship. We're talking about being with the Father, abiding with Him, His dwelling place. And I just had this phrase, this plausible words, because we, we have that internal dialogue where we're measuring ourselves up and we're, we're make, we're, it, you know, we disqualify ourselves because of the truth that we're faced with. But the gospel is... Contrary to that, it's not based on those principles, right? That's worldly wisdom. So we get to access this transcendent reality, right? Which is this spirit's power and our faith resting in the power of God to be, our, to be the one who qualifies us. Romans 5 says... From verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we're justified by his blood, but we're saved by him. Much more, it goes on. We're saved by him from the wrath of God, from his anger at us. We're free from that. He's not going to be angry with us. When we fail or fall short, So, as we're dealing with the, this internal narrative that can seek to disqualify us, we need to wise up to the adversary. You know that the devil means the adversary. So it's important to recognize that the internal narrative often is that accusation, right? And the adversary comes to lie, steal, and destroy. They're the devil's fingerprints. So we need to wise up to those schemes. Because the ultimate goal of the enemy is to deceive us about our identity of who we are and disconnect us from the source of life, which is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's a couple from Bethel called Steve and Wendy Backland. And they always talk about this glistening hope. And it always stuck with me. I heard them speak before, and it always stuck with me. And so I've developed a glistening hope mindset when it comes to discerning the voice of God. And it saved me so many times for belie from believing a lie. The Word says that we know the sound of his voice, right? Yeah. We're the sheep of his pasture, and we know the sound of his voice. So if you think about your glistening hope mindset, if that internal dialogue isn't filled with glistening hope, it's not the Lord. So when the enemy comes with his accusation to point the finger and to blame, It's not, it's not the heart of God for you. It's not the heart of the Father. So we actually don't have to believe that and partner with it. I know that he just doesn't talk to me like that. And the point is, it's like we're talking about when you fail. 
We are talking about when you fall short or when you miss the mark. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. Nothing can disqualify us. Philippians 4 gives us a good picture of this glistening hope mindset. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's at hand. Makes me think of taking his hand. Walk me through this, Father. And that verse goes on. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. They're the footprints of a glistening hope mindset when it's not working out or when you've fallen short or when things are going pear-shaped. So what I'm trying to build for you is a case of we're trying to establish that Genesis rest, that seventh day perfection, that rest of God. Can you indulge me while I try and remember what the seven days are? Day one, time. From the wild wastes and the chaos, God ordains light. He divides the night and the day, we have time, day one. Day two, he divides the waters, the ocean and the atmosphere, the sea and the sky. Day three, he separates the land from the water. Then it's filling time. He's not filling time, he's using his time to fill the three things. Time, night and day. He fills with the sun, the moon, the stars. Day two, he made the sky and the sea. He fills them with animals, fish and birds. Day three, the land, the land creatures and us, dirt men and women. Adam, dirt clods. And then he breathes life. And then we enter the seventh day. It's different to all the others. Day seven has no beginning or no end. Day seven is where the tree of life is. It's a continual abiding. The temple is the, is, is the world that God's made. It's his dwelling place. And he dwells with humanity, with his dirt clods. What a radical God. And it's this design that's rest. It's entering into rest. We're made for rest. Full assurance, full acceptance of the truth that we've talked about, of his love, establishes it 
establishes that rest. Hebrews 4.11 Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Discerning those plausible words of wisdom again, those ones that seem so right, but the Father operates on a whole other level. So that striving is about diligence. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. And what's this in the context of? It's in the context of the Israelites failing to enter the promise. Think about it. The plausible words of wisdom that the spies came back with, they weren't lies. It was the truth. There were giants in the land. It's very plausible wisdom. We can't take it. There are giants there. It's true. It's not a lie. But God... We want to apprehend this promise, don't we? We want to apprehend these things for which we've been apprehended. And the word living and active, what does it do? Divides, piercing between soul and spirit. Giving you a heavenly mindset. Okay, so we're through the gift shop. We've entered in. We've received the gift without paying. And now we have responsibility. Now we need our sonship to sustain us because we have responsibilities in the Father's house. But when I think about it in the context of what we're saying, responsibility, response, ability. Our ability comes from the fact it's a response to what we've just unpacked, what we've just talked about, the gift, the gift, the gift, the gift that empowers us, rooted in righteousness. It connects us in a way that nothing can separate. Therefore, suddenly we have ability. We are now able to respond to the gift. Like Sarah put so well, when she was preaching a few weeks ago, the lo Jesus fulfilled the law and raised the standard simultaneously. John 14 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you 
seventh day rest. We're in the presence. We're dwelling. We're abiding. Later on in verse 22, it said, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It's what we're talking about, isn't it? Him manifesting himself to us so we can be flooded with who he is, flooded with his love. It's a manifestation of his presence that's going to empower us. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. It's about presence, isn't it? If you're in someone's house, you're generally in their presence, unless you're breaking in. Right? It's a presence thing all of a sudden. He dwells with you and will be in you. We will come and make our home with him. So we're getting to it now, aren't we? This devotion, this intimacy paradigm. So the presence, I believe, makes us proactive. We're compelled by love. All the things that we're trying to chase after, we don't want to fulfill it in the flesh. But we're being proactive. We're taking responsibility now. Now we say prayers like Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Second Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? It's that he's good. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he's paid the price for us to be with him and to be near, to be in his house, in his presence. There's room for you at the table, remember? That's the knowledge of God, that he's good. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So now we're at the heart of it. Right? We're setting out, not wanting to try and, you know, create another set of laws and rules where you, that you're going to try and fulfill in the flesh. But we get to it. Punishing disobedience when obedience is complete. The thing we're called to work, walk in.
think we need to cancel us some of our subscriptions. I know I need to cancel a few subscriptions. Is there something that has to go? We want to come here on a Sunday with a house full of people who live every day of the week as if he's worthy in total devotion this place is going to erupt it's going to change the city but we've got so much compromise we've got so many subscriptions It is a hard thing, but you shall have no other gods before me. It's pretty clear about it. I want us to blur the, blur the boundaries between, between kingdoms, you know. I want to see like the mystical become normal. I want to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the final key, and Keely beat me to it again, is to pray, pray the word, pray the apostolic prayers, pray the Bible over your life. It can't be generated in the flesh. It comes from abiding, it comes from the love of God, and it comes from being responsible in your pursuit of him. It's not a passive waiting. It's a very, very proactive wait, like waiting when you're waiting for the Lord, right? And so we wait. And I'd like to pray some of these prayers over us. And I'd like to encourage you when you've canceled your subscriptions and you can't go and feed your heart there anymore because your heart's a hungry thing. Your heart will seek to be filled. But you can choose to let your heart only be satiated and satisfied by the love of God, by the word of God. That's the thing that will actually truly satisfy you and produce the fruit that you want. Will it not? But it's so much easier, isn't it, to let your heart just feast on the subscription that you've got. But Lord, redeem the time that we've spent so idly. Now, more than ever, we need to be living expressions of the heart of God to this world. Okay, let's pray. I invite you to stand, to sit, to get before the Lord, to do whatever makes you feel comfortable, to, to engage your heart. Father God, right now, we
we pray for revelation of Jesus' beauty, that we might walk in our calling and destiny by God's power. We're going to pray from Ephesians 1 again. Father of glory, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know and experience what is the hope of your calling. Give us the assurance and the clarity of God's call on our lives, that we may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance which is in the saints. Our destiny as Jesus' inheritance. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. We release it now, Lord God. Do what only you can do, Lord. We pray to receive the Spirit's power so that Jesus' presence would be manifest in us so we can experience God's love. This prayer is from Ephesians 3. That he would grant to us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we would be rooted and grounded in love being able to comprehend and experience with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray for God's love to abound in us by the knowledge of God resulting in righteousness in our lives. This is from Philippians 1. Father, we ask that your love would abound more and more in knowledge of you and in all discernment that we may approve and rejoice in the things that are excellent. That we would be sincere without compromise and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. And we pray to know God's will and to be fruitful in ministry and strengthened by intimacy with him. That we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. That we may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. That one was Colossians 1. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you so much for this family, Lord. We thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you that you're awakening our hearts to truly be devoted to you, Lord. To have no other gods before you. That you're awakening our hearts, Lord God to make you central, to give you your rightful place in our lives. And we repent for having ever made you a peripheral. We're excited for what can happen, Lord, when we, when we are simply devoted, Lord day in, day out. We pray for an awakening in this church, Lord. That as a response to your love, Lord, we would switch off the TV or we'd shoot it out like Elvis did. We'd cancel those subscriptions, Lord, that don't edify us and encourage us and build us up. And we'd take those opportunities, Lord God, to feast on the living bread, to feast on the word. And to abide in your love. We pray that we would take up those apostolic prayers, Lord God, which are focused on fulfilling who we are, fulfilling who we're called to be. We pray that we would take them like a fiery sword in our hand, a fiery double-edged sword, and we'd start to wield it as a royal priesthood and as a holy nation. 